0: Hello and welcome to the Bottom Up Skills Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Mike Parsons and I am the CEO of Qualitans. And we have come to a special moment, ladies and gentlemen. We have arrived at the last part of our, I think it was like 14, 15 part series on design thinking, oh my gosh, it's been a journey. And if you can believe this, the next series that I'm going to do for you is going to be on agile ways of working. So no rest for the wicked here. But we're going to wrap this up with an episode dedicated to how to share your product insights. Now, this goes to really one of the heart of the biggest challenges we have when we're in teams and we're designing, creating, building, whether it be product or a service or an entire business, Um, The truth really is, you know, we never really build a product on our own. There's always a couple of people involved or at least half a dozen or a dozen. And as soon as there's two people involved, there becomes a question of alignment. Do people really get uh, what we're trying to build? And as you've heard me talk about so much, design thinking is not about guessing what's going to be nice. It's not trying to be the ultimate, you know, Tastemaker with this fantastic aesthetic and just picking something that is on a whim or just a result of your sheer brilliance. No, we love to work hard and serve users, test and learn with users. But once you've done all that hard work, there's one final step. And I'll tell you why I think this matters so much. I have seen so many wonderful, creative, designers, UX specialists, UI specialists, you name it, struggling to share what's inside of their head, what they may have learned with users um, to the broader team. Now the classic one might be between a UX, a UI, a BA, or a developer who are all coming at the challenge of the product in a slightly different way. So if you're doing any sort of design thinking work, sharing your testing insights is a key opportunity to get everybody on the same page. And what I hope to do now is to help you tell your product story. And this product story is going to be rooted in user insights, user testing, learning and validation. And one of the key things we can talk about is how are we going to capture what we learn? How are we going to like, put it in a vehicle, an asset, how are we going to present it? Now, one of the things you can definitely do is share your um, output, uh, the sort of conclusions that you can draw upon your research in updating your user personas that you should have started at the beginning of any project and they should continue to grow and evolve throughout the entire process. You should have something like a user journey map. Again, we've covered what that is in this, uh, design thinking series. So just go to one of the older podcasts, you'll see it in the list, or you might even have something like wireframes, which uh, might help you kind of bring the product to life. If you've tested well, you can update those. If you want to get a little bit more strategic, you could use a user matrix, affinity diagram or an empathy map. These are all classic tools of design thinking gurus who are trying to kind of capture the learnings and the insights in a particular way. And, you know, there's a quite a science and an art to picking the right one, but you should check out our masterclass at bottomup.io where we get a bit more into those and we talk about how to, to do them. If I was to pick one thing um, that would be really essential. And I I do this on every single product that I work on is I would use a value proposition canvas where you essentially outline what the pains are experienced by your users and what gains they're looking for and what jobs they're trying to get done. So that's all on the right-hand side. And on the left-hand side, you match, map, correlate these with pain relievers and gain creators that define, determine, and inspire the feature set, the product set that you're working on. This value proposition canvas is so good because it's incredibly simple. But what it does is it forces you to map, do your gains that your user experience your user experiences. Are you actually building gain creators? And if the user experiences pain, are you relieving that pain? I love the simplicity of this. The value proposition canvas for me becomes a simple essential tool that any executive or designer or anyone in between can refer to and ask, are we getting it right? Do our features map to the jobs to be done? Do the gains really get created and are we relieving the pains? The value proposition canvas for me is a great exercise because it makes you you really work uh, on the stuff that you learnt in your user testing. Um, And it really makes you uh, ask yourself, hmm, have I really validated the gains and the pains? And it provides you with a really good baseline. Now, one of the things that you might like to do either before or after your value prop canvas is you might've conducted a big research and everybody might be really eager to learn like, okay, what did we learn from this? Uh, Now, for example, I'm working on a product and we've already done two rounds of quant surveys, two rounds of qualitative interviews, and we're about to do one of the first user tests uh, where we're gonna test the, uh, the first designs of this brand new product. Now, what's essential is to make sure that uh, whatever we're going to get out of this upcoming uh, test is um, we need to find a way to tell the story. And so I've got a three-part approach. It's a bit of a model that you can break down your presentation into. And what I love about this is it, creates, it has a very clear separation from data, from insight, and recommendation. And um, the reason that I use this is it really helps uh, create clear outcomes and it helps everybody stay on track on why those outcomes are so important, why those next steps are important. So let's dig into this three-part model of presenting your design and product ideas. First of all, data. For me, uh, a piece of data, a great example is 22% of our customers are aged 18 to 24. So when you present data, you try to be as black and white, as clear and as binary as possible and specific. Um, And you don't have to draw any insights or recommendations from this. I quite like the idea of just passing out The raw data, if it was a survey, each question has a clear outcome, a clear table or a chart that tells us the data. So just present data first. Then you have the interesting job to do is you can say, well, what is an insight? Um, And you might say, well, it's fascinating that uh, East Coast uh, customers have a much stronger preference for mobile in this age group than those on the West Coast. That's actually a really, really powerful insight because you might need to go and validate uh, why there's such a discrepancy because it's unusual, but that's what we'll get to in a second with the recommendations. So you got the data and then you can draw a really interesting insight. Now, one of the key things that you're going to do is come up with lots of data points and Insight Whatever you do, if you're presenting the results of a big test or a big piece of product work, I would challenge you, just come with 10 data points, 10 insights, and 10 recommendations. So essentially 10 ideas that run through those those three vectors. The reason why is I rarely see even the smartest people I've ever worked with really able to hold their attention beyond that. And that's a very good model. If you can get it under 10, even better. So we've got data, we've got insight. Now your recommendation could be uh, many varied. I mean, we're we're talking about this idea of this variance between 18 and 24 year olds in a a particular study. Maybe you want to go and experiment, try some different things. Let's do a pop-up store in New York and a pop-up store in LA. Or alternatively, you might say, we don't know enough. Uh, And we want to conduct another study. I mean, that's the range of recommendations you could come out with. But by separating the data from the insight, from the recommendation, what you have is an ability that maybe someone doesn't like the recommendation. They love the data. They love the insight. It's really good. But they think they have different interpretations of what to do based on the insight. That is totally awesome. What you don't want to do is say, hey, guys, we should do these six things. And everyone's like, whoa, 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 hang on, they're not tracking. So what you often find is the reason people are not aligned, they're not supporting a recommendation, is there's a break somewhere. And it's usually either in the insight or the data and sometimes you know on, on really sophisticated products you actually almost have to have like an agreed approach on how you're going to look at data and insights and how you're going to focus those so that's what happens when you work on really big products you know you know, a great example is if you're building an app and it's going in, say, 10 or 12 English-speaking app stores, then you're like, okay, uh, we really got to, to kind of process this data because we've got a lot of vectors, a lot of different points and criteria. Now, here's the thing. If you are presenting your ideas, you might want to start with the data or you might want to start with the recommendation and work your way backwards. That's something you need to choose based on your audience. But the beauty of design thinking is everything you have done has started with empathy for the user. So there's going to be a ton of testing that you would have done uh, to make sure that the data is strong and robust. You know, we will uh, see all sorts of things around sample sizes and how did you interview What was the task you gave them? All of those things need to be cleared up before you're presenting your ideas so you have an agreed approach. But if you have this three-part approach, data insight recommendation, this is such a great practical way to talk about your product. It's a great way to say, look, we're all on the same page. Now, a great uh, example that I often see in the earlier stages is, hey guys, we think we've got some pretty good validation of the core offering the core feature it really does address a pain it's a, it's a pain reliever however there's some particular things about how it might work that we still got to do a lot of work on and for some of the other stuff we have completely no idea where we're at that's okay what you want to get to is by the end of your product journey before launch that everybody has really embraced the data and the insights and they're fully on board with the recommendations If people aren't adopting your recommendations uh, that are really rooted in design thinking, then just fall back, peel it back, say, look, let's go back to the insight. And if you can't get anywhere there, go back to the data itself. And sometimes there might be misinterpretations of data or what I often find is, hey, we just don't have the data. So let's go out in the next round of testing and test those things. And all of a sudden, you can create some movement. Well, I hope all of this has got you moving towards design thinking and I hope you're typing in bottomup.io into your browser to get all those free masterclasses. I truly love sharing um, all of these concepts, mindsets, frameworks, methodologies with you. This has been a wonderful uh, series Breaking down design thinking, this huge thing, into all these bite sized parts. And really, what we're about is bite sized parts, bite sized skills, even for designers, creators, builders, entrepreneurs you name it. So, I hope you've enjoyed this final part of our design thinking series. And I hope you're ready for the upcoming Agile Approach, the Agile Software Development Masterclass. Okay. That's it for for me uh, on design thinking. I hope you've enjoyed the Bottom Up Skills Podcast. That's a wrap.